This is a Momentum Media production. Nerd alert! Property Nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. Good day, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Property Nerds podcast. And I'm Arjun Paliwal, your co-host of the Property Nerds show, here with Lee Paliwal. Lee, how are you going? Good, good. We're we're communicating from two different households at the moment as we um, move bit by bit into the new house. That's right. We've uh, got some really, really exciting news. After eight years from home ownership to rent vesting to back to home ownership and back to rent vesting, we finally secured our dream home. So it's been an unreal journey. And actually, it's not eight years, it's nine years now. Time's flying. So building up the portfolio, rent vesting back and forth between a certain home. And then, uh, yeah, we finally did it. We're on our forever family home. And it's a crazy, crazy journey. Um, Obviously, moving is not as easy as we thought, even with a lot of movers helping us, Haley. So that's been pretty oh, full on. Yeah. It's been a definitely, um, yeah, a puzzle putting it all together. Even just, you know, the transition of buying the property for us. And I guess to put in context, like, so we've been together for 10 years now in total. How many times have we moved? We've moved like a crate, like as Arjun mentioned, we've been rent vesting, living in our home. But like over that journey, it's been, geez, I think one, two, three, four, five, six. We've moved nearly every year. <laughs> it feels like, like if you add up all the different locations we've lived in, it's been a journey from that point of view. And then obviously all the pieces behind financially and professionally to make all those chess moves on the board to make it happen. So and now we're here. Yeah, I'm literally looking out and this it's just unreal. Um, for those tuning in, we had a dream of actually trying to bring all our family together. So that is no small task because it's Lee, Ruby, and I. We've got my younger brother, who's uh, our head of technology and CTO at Investikit, and he, his partner, and son, who's also the same age as Ruby, what, three, four months now. Two dogs, mother in law, stepmom, stepsister, dad, sister in law, and room for more kids in the future. So crazy bring together of so many families, but to be out here and in acreage and be all here together, we're pretty blessed. But yeah, that's been, uh, that's been what's happening um, so far. And, and look, if you're keen to check it out, look, connect with us. We always love connecting with each and every one of you who tune in on Facebook and search me up, Arjun Paliwal. It's yeah, definitely one of our, our dream come true moments, but I share it more so from a perspective of, you know, we're investors, just like you all tuning to this or those who want to become one and home ownership in terms of a home for yourself to live in, isn't always the simplest thing to get to. And sometimes it has pathways that aren't traditional. And that's the journey that we went through, which was a home to live in at first, where pulled in resources as a family and more more people coming together made it easier. And then all of a sudden recognizing, no, look, a, a portfolio building strategy was going to be rent vesting. And as we'd done that approach and and built a rent vesting portfolio together, we realized that, hey, now is the moment to say that the portfolio is at a size where we feel comfortable with long-term capital growth and what it brings. And let's do all we can to make the dream homework. And 
and here it is today. So look, I thought I'd share that for everyone just from a learning of investing also being a key part in the journey of building a home and getting that home together. Because I can tell you right now, without the property we purchased in 2015, a good nine years ago here in Sydney, and then the properties that we purchased later, there would be no way that what we've achieved today would have been possible without that equity growth that occurred over the last nine years of investing. So uh, that just shows you how it all can come together. But Lee, um, it's great to have you back on the mic. I know uh, little Ruby's uh, kept us busy and especially you busy. And if I'm not mistaken, she's probably on you right now whilst you're, whilst you're recording the audio. And, she is uh, uh, having a contact <laughs> nap as we speak. So. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, it's a juggle and it's a wonderful juggle that I've got at the moment. <laughs> yeah. No, look, um, thank you for joining us on this episode here. And our last episode for everyone who tuned in, we had Cameron Kusher from Real Estate or PropTrack, uh, the lead economist there, talking about PropTrack forecast for 2024. So if you haven't already checked that out, jump onto that episode. It's on the Property Nerds on Spotify, and we can uh, jump on that episode to basically understand what PropTrack, the guys who are at REA and who have all this rich listings data, tell you and share you their thoughts of what's happened to date and what's happening for the rest of the year ahead. But for today's episode, we want to do what we know best, which is jumping into some of the property market research, and in particular, our latest research paper, which is on the 10 Australian economic powerhouse cities, which Lee will transition into soon. But before we do that, it's always good to get an idea of what's happening on the finance front, because through the finance front, we'll be able to understand what's translating into the property market as they all are interconnected. So Lee, could you jump into what's happening from a finance trend across Australia right now? Yeah, I mean, first things first, you know, with the RBA cash rate announcements, keeping track of how that's been moving. Currently, we're sitting at 4.35%. And so that's off the back of the announcement for February. And um, yeah, there's actually, there was zero move. Um, in terms of cash rate from the month before for January. So, yeah, essentially it seems to be a bit halt on the move on that, which is what we were expecting. And potentially there's talks of there's no further moves for the RBA until 2025, but we'll obviously wait and see how that goes. But um, in terms of housing finance numbers, as you know, guys, I like to cover off the ABS lending data. So, as we know, it's two months delayed. And so the housing finance numbers for December 2023 have just been released, which will make sense a bit more around what's happening at the moment. So for housing finance, this fell by 4.1% to $26.3 billion, And that's after a rise of 0.7% in November. And so this is actually 11.7% higher compared to a year ago. So, which is unreal, well, right, Lee? Because eleven yeah. percent higher than the year ago, and interest well, so, rates technically have not come down; they've gone up over right. that year period. They've gone on up month on month that last year. So, and yet we're still eleven point seven percent higher. And yeah, so, and it raises a it raises a good point as well, Lee, that me and you were talking about before, which is it's not always about borrowing availability. It's also about borrowing demand. And that's the two different things. One thing I really want people to take out in their analysis of finance data is there is credit supply and credit take up. There are two different things. So many people were led to believe that 
because credit supply will be lower, therefore credit take up should be lower and therefore prices should be lower. Everything in property is not a, if this equals that, and if that equals this, and it's not that simple because demand and supply, whilst they come together to create an equation, they are two separate formulas. They are two separate swim lanes. So yes, credit supply has reduced because capacity to borrow has reduced with its tie up to interest rates, but credit demand is increasing and that net demand is very powerful. And that's with that increasing in credit demand, this is people's desires, sentiment, thoughts of the future and what they want to do for their life plans, whether it be owner occupier, shelter, whether it be investing and, and growing wealth is greater than that of the change in credit supply. So some very interesting points there just for people to recognize that as you dissect finance data, it's not as easy as going. Bank says, I borrow less, therefore we buy less, therefore all of Australia grows less. Doesn't work like that. No. Yeah, this tells us the opposite. So for owner, so in terms of the breakdown of that 11.7% increase. So the owner occupier housing fell for to uh 5.6% less. So that's 16.8 billion, but that still is 7.4% higher to a year ago as well. And then for investor housing, that fell by 1.3%, not that much to 9.5 billion, and that was 20.4% higher compared to a year ago. Investors are back in action. Yeah. That is what we are seeing. We are yeah. seeing investors come in with full force. And I think it's just a combination of three things. And this is reasons that we get from people that we speak to. The first thing is people are seeing, oh, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And that's more in reference to the interest rate rises and the sentiment shift and this talks of the global impacts over the last couple of years. The second thing is that people recognizing, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought, if not now, when? And that's kind of the action-taking part of people wanting to get back to focusing on their future rather than the now. And then the third part is that people recognize that we have turned a corner on the inflation piece. We have turned the corner on where interest rates are heading. Now, sure, no one's going to get it perfect for when they rise, when they stabilize, when they fall. That's in the minds of the RBA. Only they'll know what it is. But everyone knows that the trend is heading a certain direction. We can all read the charts, we can all read the numbers, and what we're seeing is clear that it is going to have to head the other way, especially with all things from unemployment increasing, which is actually, a, as bad as it sounds, it's a good thing for the charts, it's a good thing for the formulas of where interest rates come in. Global landscape suggesting the same thing on inflationary environments globally and interest rate environments globally. And then lastly, if you stay at this period too high, for too long, then you have all those things just the same way with if you stayed low interest rates for so long, the stimulus works the other way. And it's actually something that pushes things back down. And that would mean pushing inflation trends, pushing spending data, pushing jobs in the wrong direction. And no one wants to have that for too long. So it only means that interest rates will come back around, which is why the third reason investors basically saying, well, hey, uh, if everyone's going to start coming back eventually as interest rates come back down and people who physically can borrow then get back in, if I'm physically able to borrow now before those who aren't physically able to borrow now come back in later when they can, why not? And that's kind of the thinking we're seeing is the three most common reasons. It's not as bad as I thought. 
if not now, when, and better get in before others get in. So investors, this is the chat that's out there. And this is coming from our side where we speak to one, over 100 people every fortnight we're speaking to for first conversations to hear from them, just to basically see where their thoughts are at, what would they like to do, how would they like our help? And that's translating into a lot of the same themes coming up. So yeah, great big pickup in finance numbers, Lee. And any other trends on the finance side that you're seeing worth shouting out or calling out? So for the value of external refinancing, so the breakdown was a total of housing fell by 1.6% to 17.1 billion. And that's 12.1% lower to compared to a year ago. So 12 months ago, Obviously, we had lower rates. People obviously enticed to refinance their loans due to those lower rates. Yet, total housing finance is still higher. So it just shows that a lot of, I guess, the transactions from a finance perspective is actually for new purchases. And then for owner-occupied housing, the breakdown of that essentially fell by 1.4%, and that's $11.3 billion. And that was 14.4% lower compared to a year ago. Well, look, that's a lot of changes in the finance trajectory. I think the main thing is it's gone from the downs back to the up, even though it's that seasonal ending part of December data. It's still a clear recovery over the last few months, and especially in comparison to the year prior, where interest rates were much higher now than they were that year prior. So, yeah, that's it on the finance front. When it comes to today's research, we're talking about economic powerhouses. And I know, Lee, you've got a few questions and thoughts that you'd love to pick from my side on this particular research paper. And before we jump into there, I I just want everyone to know this is a a second edition. So we had this edition in 2023. It's the 10 of Australia's economic powerhouse cities. And this was actually a really popular report. It was downloaded by thousands. And and as a result, we wanted um, to run a remake of this and we've kept it in our yearly calendar. So this will come out similar time of the year, every single year, alongside some of the other favorites, which have been seven trends that we do each year, which have also been the Australian housing fundamentals, the rental analysis for top 20 regions in the rental market review, and the overvalue, undervalue. So that's been five key reports that you've asked us all based on what your downloads are saying that you really, really love to see again and again and again. So really looking forward to you know having this out there. It's now available so anyone who wants to get this free research report, you can just jump onto investikit.com.au and click on the property research tab and you can learn about the 10 economic powerhouse cities in Australia right now for 2024, their trends, the data, the methodology and the why. And then today I'll be answering what Lee's got in store for me to give some context and research on this report and a few sneak peeks in what to expect on this research. Over to you, Lee. Yeah, so 10 of Australia's economic powerhouse cities. So I guess if we take a step back there, Arjun, why is understanding the economy so important for understanding housing market performance? Yeah, it's a really good question, Lee. So first thing is when people think economics, they think of it and oversimplify it as just unemployment rates or you know, just some huge project they heard of and they leave it, leave it at that. There's so much more to it. However, with the links of economies to housing, the economy has such a flow and impact to the jobs that are created, to how we feel, to our ability to service mortgages with those employed and those not employed, trends and where a city is headed, both from its actual 
work availability, it's likely population strengths off the back of that work availability as people bring themselves, family and other things, set up life. And even just the types of, I guess, attractiveness to a city, because many people think economics is just corporate suits and jobs. That that isn't always the case. You know, economics can be a stadium, right? Economics and how the infrastructure, the spend, the lifestyle, the social infrastructure, the recreational infrastructure, and how all of that plays a part in creating city-changing landscapes. And this can have impacts from the way people spend their dollars in a city from a tourism level, the way people spend dollars in the city and live in from a housing and a commitment to the city long or short term. And as a result, this shapes our lifestyle and our habits. And so from that becomes housing transactions for owner-occupiers to have more shelter in. From there becomes rental demand for those who are in jobs or obtaining jobs in an area to then be in a position to seek housing and shelter in that area. And then also from there becomes investability. As soon as people see an economic area thriving or or things of interest, whether it be infrastructure, whether it be job trends, whether it be the flow on the rental market, they are then attracted to a city. How many times do you hear people and they ask, wow, you invested in that city, what's going on there? That what's going on there is usually met with a response. And that response is along the lines of, Train station, stadium, defense, you know, more military stuff, tourism, hospitals. Whilst those in isolation aren't drivers of capital growth and nor uh, should they ever be thought of, the truth is the common conversation usually starts like that. And so as a result, that will no doubt attract investability because there is that connection to conversation, connection to something real happening that then is perceived flow and impact, even though it may not be in full the flow and impact. This is why it's important to understand economics, because when you get that economic understanding, it will flow through to housing data. And then as a result, it will flow through to both owner-occupied competition and investor competition, which will impact positively for prices. Now, it's not the same effect everywhere. This is why we need to go deeper into housing-specific trends. But no way can you say that you know, in every case, there is a high amount of housing growth with weak economic growth. It's such a rare, it's almost like if you had 10 cities in front of me, you'd probably say one max two of the 10 could have a positive housing growth story, but a weak economic story. Eight or nine out of those 10 would have a positive economic story that works with the housing story. So that's why it's so important to know. Yeah. And and I guess, um, Obviously, there's 10 different economic powerhouse cities. How many of those are major cities versus smaller cities without giving it all away? <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to classify major and small. I'd say, look, obviously, there's five capital regions here that have been given a particular shout out. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the five, they're across different regional markets, some major satellite connecting to capital cities and some isolated but standout cities on their own right. And what was the method you were looking into for the economic strength of the cities? Yeah, firstly, before I jump into the method, I want to just give a few shout outs here because the research team really supported me on this. So for those, I'm the director of and head of research at Investigate Buyers Agency, Australia's Buyers Agency of the Year for 2023. And hopefully we can be the first to do a back-to-back in 24. We'll, we'll see how that goes. We're excited. The awards is actually this month. So fingers crossed. But I want to give a shout out to the research team who supported me on this journey. So Jung, Senior Research Analyst at Investigate, 
Douglas, our junior research analyst, Eli, our junior research analyst, and Grace, our junior research analyst. So us five came together for this research paper. I thought I'd give them a shout out because they play such a key part in analyzing and breaking down this methodology question that you've raised. But firstly, yeah. uh, Lee, what we go through is we go through GRP, which stands for Gross Regional Product, and that's essentially the total value of goods and service produced in a regional economy. And long story short, rising GRP means a growing local economy. We've then also gone through things like industry diversity, so top five industries of employment, the percentages of their employees in their total number of people, in the total number of people employed. And I guess higher industrial diversity just indicates more a resilient economy. The population, so this is actually looking at the estimated residential population, ERP is what we call it. And this is just basically us trying to understand where that's trending as well. Lastly, not lastly, it's a few bit more, actually, job advertisements. Job advertisements, we're constantly scouring the internet for places like Seek, Career One, Australian Job Search, and all of their data coming together, trying to understand what's happening across the regions because job ads have what we call a negative correlation with unemployment rate. So as job advertisements go up, they're that lead indicator, but they flow on with unemployment data starting to go down, which is a good thing. Uh, unemployment rate within itself is another thing we're looking at just to understand that deeper. And this is another one, and I definitely want people to pay attention to this, airport passenger movement. So essentially, we look at the total number of revenue passengers or airport passengers um, arriving and departing from the airport, aviation provides a, a very much an efficient network for business and tourism, right? So it plays a very key role in facilitating this economic growth because airport passenger movements, they'll impact people where there's more spenders locally, there's more people migrating locally, there's people you know living and enjoying the lifestyle there. So this is all good signs of an economy when the airport is humming and buzzing. We go deeper as well, Lee, into things like construction pipeline, and we're looking at it from the perspective of trying to understand both total projects, total dollar values, and even at a per capita level and the types of projects. So we're trying to see, you know, what are all the things that are happening in there across different phases, things that are just starting, commenced, quite firm, possible, things coming to the area, early stages of planning, Things have recently completed. So we're really looking at it across all aspects, but from an economic level, before we go into property-specific trends that we also look at, we're looking at construction, projects, infrastructure overall, airport, unemployment, job ads, GRP, GDP, industry diversity, and population movement. So all of these things coming together to give us our economic lens of a particular city. And... I was having a look at the report. There's a small city in this report by the name of Dubbo. So for the newbie housing researchers, how could a small city like Dubbo be a powerhouse? Yeah, this is a really, <laughs> really good question. So firstly, Lee, thanks for giving one of the regions away in the in the report, but that's all good. There's another nine for everyone to check out. So we haven't spilled all the beans. But the main thing is anyone trying to understand economics of a city should really make sure they don't fall into the rookie mistake of research, which is train stations, roads, and suits. This is the three biggest things I hear. People talking about big road projects, people talking about train stations and new metros and new things like that. And then lastly, people wondering, you know, where are all the suits 
the corporates. That is not alone enough to measure an economy as in-depth as one should be measuring it. And when it comes to how we should look at economies, we really need to look at them holistically. And from that holistical analysis of our methodology I gave prior, Dubbo is a strong powerhouse. And by powerhouse, it needs to be focused on its own relative size. You can't say that Dubbo is a powerhouse in comparison to Sydney because they're not of the same relative area. But when you look at Dubbo in terms of its own particular economy and relative markets of a similar size, it's extremely well-placed. And if we start breaking it down, firstly, let's talk about this. Unemployment rates as of you know, the later parts of 2023 data are at 2.8%, one of the tightest in the nation, well below the nation's 4.1 national number right now. When it comes to its GRP, GRP has been trending up over many years. Its highest was 2016, trended down for a few years, but since 2020, 21, 2, and 3, the GRP and GRP growth rates have been very strong. Unlike what many people think, they think that, hey, because there aren't the big corporate towers, it must not be a diverse economy. It's a very diverse economy. Top five industries of employment, healthcare and social assistance at 20.2%. Now, in terms of Australia, where does that rank? It ranks number one in terms of that makeup because the Australian average there is about 13.4%. When it comes to the construction, it's 10.4%. It ranks pretty high in comparison to nations. So we're also benchmarking retail trade, education and training, and public admin and safety. So these are the five major job categories. The Dubbo Airport, in terms of the total passengers in that regional center and nearby, that's been picking up and bouncing fast since the COVID recovery and obviously the closure. It's not quite at peak levels of movement before when it comes to its traffic, but it is recovering there and it's likely to be there by next year. Also, when we look at the, the GRP momentum and the industry diversity, those are just two things. The unemployment part I pointed out, but the unemployment part has remained low for some time. And job ads, whilst yes, they peaked in September of 2021 and have come down a little bit since then, they still remain at very high levels. They're at much higher levels than any time going back to March of 2012 in terms of its job advertisements. And just to break down also a few things of interest is some of the infrastructure projects from hospital redevelopments, from bridges to educational centers for police and training and airports redeveloped, from workplace hubs to highway improvements. There is a very, very healthy pipeline based on its estimated completion year going into 25, 26, and 27 before things start calming down. From an infrastructure spend per capita, it's also very well placed at $129,813, which in terms of the national benchmark is a very healthy number. So those are some of the core things. And on top of that, Lee, it remains an affordable city. And from that affordability level, that just allows there to be an opportunity of you know strength when it comes to the rest of the economic trends. Now, don't get me wrong, there's still the housing market that's softened a little bit, but it's risen against high and increasing interest rates. It's just not as strong as other parts of the nation housing-wise, but you'd expect that to turn around in due course with a strong economy like this. However, we can't completely link the two. They're still separate to some levels, but it's good to point out just what's happening in the local economy of Dubbo. Well, always 
a lot of value from you and the Investigate team on the research papers. And guys, this is all completely free research to all. So again, if you're looking out for it, you need to search investikit.com.au forward slash white papers. And that's where you're going to find all these free reports that come out monthly as an Arjun, I believe. Yeah. Every month there's another research paper that comes out and this is uh, the February or Jan release. Uh, happy to go in Feb. Amazing. So that's going to be out very shortly live to the public, right? Yeah. It's out right now and ready for download. Amazing. And yeah, I mean, that's awesome. All that reporting that you've gone through. Is there anything else you want to cover up? Yeah. I think on this particular report, I'll give away another two cities, right? Mm-hmm. And again, they're just going to go down the notion of not the typical size of cities as you might think, but they'll definitely surprise people. And this next particular one is a city that I've been harping on for some time. And wow, it is booming away strong. So this next city from a housing data, even though we didn't cover housing data deeply for double, I want to cover housing data here for this city. It's actually having many, or if not most of its suburbs grow at an over 1% growth rate per month over the last six months, which is massive. That's an annualized 12% plus double digit, if not more, depending on certain suburbs. But the main thing to point out is that there is research going back from us, I think to 2020 or 2021, that talks about the far north parts of Queensland and how that is coming. And we were right. This has really come through. It's now here, a little bit early to the party, maybe in 22, but now it's really, really starting to show but look by being early to the party you get the best negotiation you get early aspects of more stock of choice and that's definitely what happened and now the sitting is is truly coming alive and why is it important to point out is that this particular city its trends that we first analyzed is what you're hearing today we start with the economy if you start all your analysis with the economy you will unlock a lot of insights into where a city's trajectory will likely go. And then from there, alongside economy, will be housing data, housing cycle, and metrics that start to come through. Now, there is risks of just going on economic data alone. If you go on economic data alone, you might come to the party a little too early because housing data eventually is what you need to see to see things translate to capital growth. But sometimes you have to courageously put the step out and rely on economic data to go, no, look, I think this will translate and here's my thoughts and here's why. And that it did for Townsville, even though most of the housing trends weren't there just yet, the economic trends were, the housing trends followed, and now it's in boom territory, booming away. And this is what we can see in these. So firstly, unemployment rates as of late 2023, and it may have changed since the um, the report being made to actual release date, was two. 0.3%, the lowest in its recorded history from what we can see, and also an extremely low number on the national benchmark. We've also seen GRP after a big fall-off trend, and the fall started actually happening from, I would say, the growth rates trend first, not the total dollars, but the growth rates. The growth rates started slowing and actually going into negative territory between 2010 well, I'd say 11 more so, 12. And then 2012 period, after a little bit of a rise, but albeit very small, it was going backwards. And this started to change 2019, 20, and this started to move in the up. And now it's definitely starting to grow again at a growth rate of close to 4%, which is very strong. 
obviously not its peak heights of 2002 to 2004, growth rates of sort of 6 7%, but still very strong numbers. It's pre-COVID airport passenger traffic has now been surpassed and we are beyond pre-COVID airport passenger traffic. Its job market remains very resilient here from healthcare, public admin, construction, education, retail. And look, those five will commonly theme across many markets. So that's not the way you should look at it. There's a deeper review that we do. Unemployment rates have been the big starting point. If you go back to 2016, this is where the bad rep for Townsville really starts. Many people will realize that, hey, lots of crime going on in the city, created a lot of bad stigma. High unemployment rates have no doubt played a key in it and in that stigma creation. If you go back to 2016-17, unemployment's reached scary levels, double digits. However, as soon as we started seeing intervention from local and government from that state level as well, there was a huge turnaround from the city deal to more job ads continue to start to recover, unemployment rates continue to start to come back down, and those unemployment rates rocketed down from 2016 highs and came to under 3% now. And those job advertisements followed, obviously, and rocketed back up, and they're at a peak level with ERP population also moving at very strong levels, also spiking up too. And if we break down some of the projects from hospital expansions to port expansions, rail corridors or Eastern Access Rail Corridor improvements to ring road improvements to creek corridor upgrades and more, you're just breaking down a huge pipeline of infrastructure. And also on that pipeline of infrastructure, the amount of value of projects completed each year continues to rise all the way to 27 before a dip in 28. And in 29 and 30, and even after 2020, after 2030, these numbers continue to stay at high values. So when you see the GRP, airport passengers, a diverse economy, job ads, unemployment, all of this come together after a city was such extremes on the other end, combined with very affordable housing, one of the most affordable in the nation when it comes to not just cheap prices, but to relative incomes of locals. Then you look at housing trends and you start seeing listing levels fall off a cliff as they get sucked up. Sales volume levels maintain strength even as 40% declines in some people's borrowing capacities depending on banks you go to. That is an unheard of trend. Like when you see sales volumes maintain their weight throughout the last few years, even as interest rates have gone up like crazy, and you see listings volumes go down, that's a strong cycle of growth beginning to emerge. Vacancy rates remain very, very low here. We start to also see them pick up a little bit as investor activities comes through, but they're still quite low in the grand scheme of things at around 1%. And rents are continuing to rise, whilst, as I mentioned before, prices are affordable. So that's another thing that if you ask me, Lee, what was a standout, I'd say the city of Townsville was a clear standout because I could not fault it from any metric, both housing and economy. And so from that perspective, it's likely that a cycle that's now in full swing will continue for some time until these dynamics of economy and or housing change that we're seeing in front of us. So yeah, I'd say um, those are the big surprises for me. And for anyone who enjoyed just some of the samples of data in this report, that's just two cities. There's eight more in this report. Australia's economic powerhouses 
And learning economics will not lead you astray when it comes to learning how to analyze housing markets. So I encourage you, check it out. It's totally free to download investikit.com.au. And our research paper is on Australia's economic powerhouses. There's 10 of them. I've given away two. There's eight others. I could have made a bigger list, but there is 10 solid ones there for you to check out and learn more about. So thank you so much for tuning in. And that's another show of The Property Nerds. And we look forward to coming back on fortnightly levels. Something new for 2024. This is the first of that start. And so you'll be catching another episode very, very soon and looking forward to catching up soon. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. Game over.